We should just go right into it. We don't need an intro. We were having a, we were having a conversation, and it was one of those times when what, what occurred to me was, this is the kind of conversation that people say, I wish you guys just had a microphone on the wall in your, in your office so I could be a part of that conversation and at least hear it. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to say, screw it. Let's, let's grab microphones and let's keep having it. I, I think that we could retrace enough of it pretty quickly. What was the first question you asked me? What I said to you is I have this, um, what's the word inclination that I need to start being more Muhammad Ali and less Evander Holyfield. What does that mean? It means, uh, put more bravado behind the message that I'm putting out for our audience Mm -hmm. and for our yet to become audience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those, what we do is, is really good. Really, really, really good. And there is such a nuanced difference between what we do and what the rest of the market is doing that it can be difficult for somebody who is paying attention to, or not paying attention, but loosely paying attention to understand what the difference is. They realize it on the other side every fucking time. Every time. Like a week into working with us, like, oh, I didn't realize it was all of this. Sooner than that, man. The thing that was really a light bulb moment for me was actually interviewing Will and Jenny Harris, where Mm. it was such a... For you listening, if Will and Jenny Harris own White Oak Pastures, which is a regenerative agriculture uh, farm and ranch in Bluffton, I think Georgia, Bluffington or Bluff, whatever, Georgia. Uh, they do, I believe he said on the Joe Rogan podcast, they do about $27 million a year. They employ 180 people and their land is actually reducing carbon emissions. So they're sequestering more carbon than they're putting out into the world. And if you wanted to buy a steak from them, it's going to cost you two to three X what buying a steak at your grocery store is going to cost for the same weight. Uh, vegetables, same thing. The quality of the nutrients in those products is incomparable to everything else that they, that you're going to buy, except for local farmers. Like there are other places like this that might be local to you, but they're going to be similarly priced. And what I found really inspiring about it was they sell uh, you know, a steak that looks like a steak that you would buy at the grocery store for three times the price of what you would pay in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any trouble selling it because the market who buys from them understands the difference in the quality that they are getting. Mm-hmm. We, I believe, are creating the steaks that White Oak Pastures creates. And people still think when they look at them, that they are grocery store steaks like everybody else is selling. And what they have done a good job of, in part because they have 27 years of doing it, or 20 years of doing it, whatever it is, and we have two in terms of the professional sales, the professional side of things, and five in terms of Rx, um, is helping people understand. I know they look the same, but they are incomparable, completely different products. They do that really well. I don't do that as well. And we don't do that as well. And I have felt for a long time, I actually talked to Rachel Balkovic about this. I remember where I was in my kitchen in my house before we did the renovation. Uh, so it's over a year and a half ago. I told her this and she's like, I think you already do a fair amount of it. I'm like, I need to get, I need to go further. I never really did. Uh, into being, being more confident in the way I discuss the quality of what we do without holding back about the, look, it's not for everybody. Like it isn't for everybody, but it's not because it couldn't be. It's because not everybody frankly is, is good enough to get through it Mm -hmm. when it comes to the professional side of the education. 
not everybody has the interest yep. to solve the the not everybody even understands or believes or wants to believe that the problems that we solve for clients every single day exist. Mm-hmm. And the part that I struggle with that I was talking to you about that I thought it would be valuable for the audience to know is I struggle because I feel as though the the more I tell people how great we are, the more compelled I would feel to give them a basis of comparison to understand what I'm describing. And the only way to provide a basis of comparison is to say, this person, this entity, this company does this, and we do that 10 times better, here's why. And I don't want to do that. I want to avoid having to shit on other people to, to build our building. Well, the, I don't know that it's fair to call describing anything else shitting on it. If you're describing it accurately. Well, but I imagine what you want to do is make sure that you're never framing anyone or anything else in a negative light. mm -hmm. And I get that. And I think it's hard. Well, I think it's valuable for everyone who's listening to this to give us, to give us, help on how we can do it. I would love people's input. The, the paradox I face is like I told you before, when I interviewed with Gabrielle at the end of the podcast, she told me, uh, and it's on the podcast, Dr. We, Gabrielle line, Dr. Gabrielle line. It's, it's on her podcast when it comes out, uh, which will be after this. She says on the podcast, you know, everyone I talk to about you has something positive to say. Like you're, you're everyone who I talked to and told I was interviewing. They just, they think you're a great connector. I they, promise you guys should keep listening to this. He's not just yeah, no, no, they, it's, they, it's they, she's like, they have really positive things to say about you. And I looked at that as that's awesome. That's, that's earned because six years ago, that would not have been the case. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cultivate these kinds of relationships and connect people that had no benefit for me. Um, and now I do, it's been intentional and I want to be able to brag about us in a way that people will understand without having to speak badly about anybody else for a basis of comparison and therefore lose the quality of the reputation that I've worked so hard to develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, the problem that we run up against is does that necessarily mean, or the question is, does it necessarily mean that we have to move at a way slower rate and maybe not get to help all the people that we want to get? To I help? know that's unacceptable. So, yeah, so, so I, I don't know that, that that's that it's unacceptable. I'll give you specific examples of people who I would not have to speak badly about who I publicly disagree with on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And these people I am certain would tell other people positive things about me because while we disagree, I don't, I don't have to shit on them. Mm -hmm. Jason Ackerman at affiliate university or best hour of their day, whatever they call it, the, the CrossFit company that is supporting CrossFit affiliates and Pat Barber, who's also a CrossFit who has been a CrossFit OG since the very, very, very beginning. I consider both of them friends. I believe they both consider me friends. I mean, I stayed at Pat's house, so we're friends unless he lets people, he doesn't like stay at his house. Um, they, I don't think they do a bad job at anything. I just think that what they're doing in terms of a, an, a value scale for the individual who needs support is lower than what we're doing. And what I mean when I say that is the person who would be successful in a CrossFit environment, which is what they are phenomenal at fostering, doesn't need CrossFit to be successful. The person who joins Active Life in Long Beach can't join CrossFit 
and get what they want from it. They can't join Hollywood, which is in Long Beach, and get what they want from it. They can't join LB Strength and get what they want from it. They can't sign up with Paragon, who is Lori Christine King, another friend, online, and get what they want from it. And it's not that those companies are not valuable. They are. They are providing meaningful value to the people who come in. I'm saying the people who go and work with those companies could work with any of those companies and be successful. The people who work with us don't have that same luxury. Yeah. So it's the difference between um, choosing which one they enjoy more versus opting into something that is the thing they need to solve a problem they're not that isn't being addressed. Yeah. And an example, like we say problems all the time. And I think that that, that probably confuses people because we're talking about, you know, oh, solving higher level. What's a higher level problem? What's a higher level? What, what is a higher level problem? And then when we start talking about the higher level problem, it ends up becoming this thing where it's like, oh yeah, well, okay, cool. But how many people are walking around like that? You know, examples of that would be like the video that we put out with Mike, the client you worked with, who was in a coma, ended up paralyzed, was told he could never walk again, ended up sprinting. And now he's a volunteer firefighter, right? Like that's, that's a crazy story that is not happening in a group fitness environment. And it just so happens you've referred him to a CrossFit gym when you were done helping him achieve all of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the respect is there for an entity like that or a methodology like that when appropriate. Another example would be like the woman who joined our local space who has hip replacement, had three lumbar fractures due to osteoporosis and, and insufficiency of the bone density and was born with paralysis on one side of her body. So she has to compensate for dexterity issues. That person's not walking into a group facility and getting what they need, no matter what the group facility is. And they're not walking into a commercial gym and figuring it out for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not in any way uh, minimizing what they are able to do for themselves to suggest that they cannot get what they need from those environments. And what I'm saying is the value, the monetary value, and the transformational value to the kind of life that that person is able to live is greater in the environment that we create than in the environment that the rest of the industry is creating for the person more like you or me who could walk in and stay healthy. Okay. So do you follow me? I follow you. How do we, what, what does it look like to be Muhammad Ali now? Yeah. The, the, like one of the reasons that I love, uh, figures in, in history, like Muhammad Ali, like Julius Caesar, like Genghis Khan, despite all these people doing some really bad things. I guess we could put Hitler on that list too. I'm not a big Hitler fan, have, you know, being a Jew. Uh, but we did talk about it. The, at the One of the things that fascinates me about a person like that is how do you get hordes of people to believe that what you were saying is valuable and useful to follow? If I, if I was creating a list of three people who I would want to be able to have a very honest conversation with, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a Hitler fan at all, but I want to have that conversation. He, he got some folks to believe something was going to be a good idea. He got folks to do a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, as two Jews, the fact that we're fascinated by it and disgusted by it at the same time speaks to the magnitude of it. But, but, but so, but so anyway, all of these people had a charisma about them that, that I feel like I could have, I just don't know how to do it without, comparing it to something else without having a scapegoat, if you will, you know, for, for Hitler, it was the Jews, um, for Muhammad Ali, it was the United States government and whoever he was boxing against for, um, 
you know, Conor McGregor, same thing. Anyone he's about to fight is the scapegoat for everything that is negative. Um, and I look at people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. as the antithesis of these things. He had a meaningful cause that went against what society was trying to do at the time. Hold on. He, you said earlier that we're, we're trying to ask people to dig deep to change some of what human nature is for them because of mm-hmm. their beliefs and their values. Martin Luther King did the same thing. And I'm not comparing myself to Martin Luther King. I'm comparing the way that he went about solving a problem as being the way I want to go about solving a problem mm-hmm. and not knowing how to galvanize the audience who have that problem to be able to rise up and say, yes, this problem exists and no, you can't solve it to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, Martin Luther King, definitely better. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if the scapegoat's the right word, but there was a bully. For Hitler, the Jews are the bully. For Martin right. Luther King, what was endemic racism was right. was the bully. Well, so but so but so here's the thing. Both that's true on both on both parts. For us, for me, the bully is entire systems and industries that are set up to fail the people who they claim to help. Mm-hmm. So as a for example, like, but, but, but there's so much, if, if you look at, um, Jahari's window, I don't know if you're familiar with Jahari's window. So Jahari's window is a, a four quadrant diagram. The top left quadrant is things that you know about yourself and other people know about you. The top right, I believe is things that you know about yourself that other people do not know about you. And that's the window that you're hiding from people, right? Like that's your... I have this insecurity, but I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. The bottom left corner is things other people know about you that you don't know about yourself, which are things like, I know that he's not good at this, but he thinks he's good at this. Okay, fine. And then the bottom right corner is things that you don't know about yourself that nobody else knows about you. What we face as a problem is because there has been nobody in the industry that serves the audience that we aim to serve. The industry has the the cop-out of those people don't prioritize getting fit and healthy. And so we can't help them. Those people are not walking through the door. We're not here for those people because they don't want what we do, right? They are missing the awareness that those people do want what they do, but because they don't actually do what those people need, those people rule them out as possible options. Mm -hmm. Now we look at those people those people look at the industry and they've already written it off. They've written it off as I can't get the help that I need in a fitness business. It's an impossibility. The entire industry is commoditized. You need a high school diploma and two hours of a course to get a certification. And the people who are saying that they're great, um, are, are not, they're just not. Some are, most of them are not having to say that they're great. That's, that's the reality. So, we're forced to, to deal with this situation. We chose, we're not forced, of letting the industry know there is an audience of people who want this by proving it and serving the audience, which we have done for the last six years to the tune of over 12,000 people, and then turn to those 12,000 people and say, we are not the only people doing this. There is a rising industry of people who we have educated who are doing this. There are hundreds of them. 
Not enough, but there are hundreds of them who are doing this for people worldwide. We need both the individual who's been underserved for generations to believe that there is somebody serving them, which is going to come across in the beginning as charlatan approach. It's snake oil because everyone makes everyone over promises and under delivers. We're just another one until we can prove otherwise. Even if we show them here are 50 testimonials in a row of people who've had this experience. Mm -hmm. And I'll connect you with 20 people who we told not to work with us because we didn't believe we could help them who we connected to somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's still like to get that level of communication with somebody is difficult. And then the industry, we still need to lift the veil of, I know you think you're doing all the things you're not, you're not. That's, that's what we face. It's a double blind spot. I also believe that we face the force of an industry that does know what it's doing and wants to extract as much value from the market as it possibly can. Well, so I think it's important that when we say that, we, we make uh, discernment. So, for example, from my experience, I would suggest that the smaller boutique gym is doing what you just described far less often than the big box gym. I agree. The, I mean, I can tell you for certain, we went and met with a group of commercial gyms talked to the owner of one in particular that had 15 locations. He wanted to bring our services into his business to see if it could make him more money, not because he thought it would actually help his clients. And when I said, he said, which one should we start with? I said, which gym do you trust your staff in the most? And he laughed. I'm like, what are you laughing at? And he's like, I don't trust my staff in any of my gyms. I'm like, well, that's terrible. That's not funny. That's absurd. How, how that's, that's terror. That, that, that's so broken. I can't even begin to talk about it in the boutique gym. I don't think that we see that as often. I think that what we see in the boutique, the micro gym space more often than that is owners who are beat down coaches who are beat down. Agree. And I also think that they're by and large, well-intentioned. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that the coaches and even the employees in these bigger box gyms oftentimes are well-intentioned. What happens is it becomes this, this, this self-propelling perpetuation of nonsense that the people won't like it starts. If we look in the training department, if I develop my trainers, they're going to steal the client. I'm going to spend all this money on trainers who are going to end up stealing clients and working with them at home. So I'm not going to develop my trainers and I'm going to pay them a very low amount of money because like they're not developed. Okay. Well you just put them into a rock in a hard place. Right. And the reason why they're going to take clients is because you don't have incentive for them to keep their clients in the gym. It's easier for them to train them at home and make more money than it is for them to make that same money working in your gym. So it's a catch 22 that these gym owners put themselves into. So now the trainers are like, I got to get mine. My owner, does, the owner of this gym doesn't give a shit about me. So now they just do the best that they can to acquire clients and then ideally train them elsewhere. And there is no skill in, there's no, utility, I should say, in skill development outside of client acquisition and sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So that's what they go seek after. Mm -hmm. And then we parade this nonsense that the fitness industry is the healthcare of the future as a whole. When I wouldn't send somebody, I, I wouldn't didn't trust like. my mother with most, I wouldn't places. send someone I don't like to most trainers. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't send someone I, I don't like to like, to most CrossFit gyms, to most F45s, to most aren't like 
it's just a bunch of people trying to get theirs and get out in yep. most places. Yep. And if I am sending them there, I'm certainly making sure they're crystal clear on expectations. Yes. And when I say get theirs and get out, what I mean is whatever it is that they're looking to get in the space. It's not always money for some people. It's, I just want to scratch an itch. I like coaching. Mm -hmm. Coaching is cool. I want to do it. Well, you're not good enough. If you're just scratching an itch, it's got to be your obsession. It's got to be your career. It's got to be what you devote your time to. And that's the area. If, if you want to command the highest rates available, and if you want to garner respect from clinicians of all sorts to be part of a multidisciplinary For, team. Forget both of those things. Those are both true. But to be able to serve the people who right now are not walking through your door, mm -hmm. the people who you purport to help, mm -hmm. it's, it's the... Um, it's happened for somebody here, so it can happen for anybody here. No, it happened for somebody, which means it right. can happen for anybody, but it doesn't mean it's likely that it can. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between, hey, that guy picked a fight with the toughest guy in town and landed a punch. Anybody could land a punch and win. Well, yeah, sure, but it's not likely. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to go fight a UFC champion because I might land a puncher's shot and knock him out. Mm -hmm. It's like a one in a million if that low, I'm not interested in that kind of an odds, but the, all these businesses, these gyms that, you know, and these coaching businesses that put up like, Oh, look at these results. Look at these results. Look at these results. When those are the clients who are most like, like great. They were, they were ripe for it. You got those results. There is no taking those results away from that client or from you. It's that you couldn't get those results for a person who is unlike the person you got those results for. Right. We had a conversation recently with one of the, one of the gym owners that we've worked with and we were talking about the, the value of continued education. And he's like, I just don't see people like that walking into my gym though. And I was like, they're not walking in yet because you haven't acquired the skill set to serve them yet. So no one's referring those people to you yet. That's why they're not here. Everyone knows it's the un, it's the untold secret. Everyone knows you can't help that person yet. Look at the roster of clients you have in your gym. Two years ago, could you help the people who are in your gym right now? No. Were the people who are in your gym right now walking into your gym two years ago? No. The same will be true two years from now if you continue to educate yourself in the way that you've been. But it's the unconscious incompetence to serve an audience that's not arriving because you don't see the audience because they're not coming because they know you can't serve them. I need to figure out how I can do that, talk to that more often without minimizing the work that other people are doing, without speaking badly about anybody else, without making anyone else seem smaller so that we can seem bigger because I believe we can be bigger simply by being bigger. Yeah, well, it's making sure that we're, that everyone is crystal clear on the fact that the majority of the population is underattended, is underattended to. And underserved. And those are the people that we need to make sure are clear on this is what's out there. Here are the reasons why it won't do what you're looking for mm -hmm. or isn't likely. How do you do that though? Okay, so let's take Kelly, for example. We have her testimonial. I can use her name. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. totally good with it. Kelly owns a restaurant locally. She fell off of a ladder, what, three years ago, four yes. years ago? Uh, broke her back. They didn't even know she broke her back because she had bleeding from the head. And so they didn't see her back. So she, her back injury went unattended for like two and a half, three years. Un unknown even. Um, she came to us with debilitating back pain. She 
couldn't, she could barely walk. She was shuffling her feet. She couldn't get her arms over her head and she couldn't sit down to the bottom of a squat, passive or active, supported or unsupported. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. We've been working with Kelly now for about six months. Mm-hmm. And five. She, four and a half. She, she had a. Right. Had it a was a significant recently. issue. Yes. And yes. Um, having nothing to do with her physically, her bandwidth just got sucked up into something else that was absolutely the appropriate thing for bandwidth. Business crisis. She handled it. Yes. She handled it Talk like a boss. Yeah. Um, so she's jogging now. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have leg pain on a regular basis anymore. She doesn't have back pain. She's able to move her arms over her head. She can't walk in. She could not have, that wouldn't have happened if she walked into any other fitness provider in this town. I think it's more accurate to say it's unlikely. I think to say, this is where I think it might've happened over much more time. This is the chasm. What you just did right there is, is what we need to, I believe, stop doing. Um, it's unlikely that leaves the door open for everyone to say, yeah, except here. Well, no, it's a question of, well, where do you want to go first? Well, no, it's, it, it, it's a question of how unlikely, because you're right. It's not impossible to have mm-hmm. happened, but if, if, if unlikely means one in five could have done it she, mm-hmm. and, and there's a four out of five chance she would have gone to the wrong place that misrepresents that it's more like one in it's a probably thousand. one in a thousand. Yes. It's probably one in a thousand. Right. And, and that's not because we are 1,000 times better than anybody else. It's because you and I have focused all of our education, all of our experience, all of our intention on serving the one in a 1,000 client. Mm-hmm. That's it. The person who comes in and says, I want abs. I want to lose 15 pounds. I just want to feel healthy. Like That's not necessarily someone who you or I would recommend you take on as a personal training client, we enroll at the Active Life here in Long Beach or Active Life RX takes as a client. They are better served. They can get the results they're looking for for less money in a more fun environment in one of the other 14 places in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, the, my, my, mom's, my mom's facing similar issues with her body and she's, she, might not be, she might not have work soon for some time. She can be fine. But she might not. When you say she's not going to have work, you mean she's not going to have a job. Like her, yeah. Like her company might be dissolving soon. Mm-hmm. And wherever it needed to happen and wherever it needed to come from, I was going to make sure that she had access to the active life professionals locally mm-hmm. so that she could do it because there's nowhere else that she can go. Right. Period. Right. It's, it's just how much can I bullshit myself about the slow decline anywhere else? Mm-hmm. It's how far can I turn the clock back here? So I, I just... The thing I am struggling with, and I'm asking this uh, of all of you now, right? I mean, I, I asked it of you, and that's how we prompted this conversation. And we don't need to go all that much further with it. Um, I just wanted to put this out into the world: is there are there are a thousand clients, there are a thousand people. We at Active Life aim to serve ten of them, right? Ten of them, maybe maybe twenty of them. The other 980 should go somewhere else. There are 14 fitness businesses in our town. The two big ones can accommodate, let's say, 3,000 members each. The two big box gyms. That's 6,000 people. Right? Then you have another 12 boutique businesses in town. Let's say each of them can accommodate 150 to 200. Let's say 175. What is 175 times 12? Now I've got to pull out the calculator. Um... 
175 times 12. That's another 2,100 people. So now we're talking about that's 8,100 people. Okay. We cap out at 120. So 120 out of 8,100 is 1.4%. 1.4%. That's the number of people in the local fitness market that we want to service. 1.4%. If you find us and you are not in that 1.4%, we will send you elsewhere. That's, that's the reality. Our marketing, our messaging, our services, our design, our everything has to be so clear that only 2% even come to us so that we're not filtering through 98% and telling them go elsewhere. We're only filtering through 2% and telling 0.6 we're not the best fit for you and we're sending them to the right place for them. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with how to do that on a global scale, not locally, locally it's happening, how to do that on a global scale without sounding as though I'm minimizing everybody else. That's a good question. That's, that's the question Mm -hmm. because what, what, what I believe is necessary if people are going to get the help that they need is that entities who cannot serve the client who we dedicate our lives to serving, Turn around and say, we shouldn't service this person. You should go to active life. You should go to active life. Because we are contrite enough to send everybody else, I think that's the right word, to them. And we do. But the more that people who need the help that we get end up showing up at a business that can't serve them, be told we can help you, be failed, the less likely those people are to ever seek out help again. The more trepidatious they are going to be to ever believe I can be helped again. We need to be so loud, so consistent, and so clear that all of those people are able to come to grips with the fact that they've been they've been bullied unintentionally by an industry that doesn't know that they exist or how to serve them. And we do. That's what I got to figure out. The reason I, I'll end with one more thing. The reason I wanted to do this on a podcast is I really, I genuinely want those of you who are listening to provide input on it. I would love to hear how you think we can do it. And I'll share with you an example of when I did it wrong that I don't want to repeat. 2019, you and I, Larry, were driving to Boston. Remember? And I was in the middle of a tirade about how the four-ninths model for paying a coach was one of the most oppressive, oppressive, and, and negative things that ever happened in the fitness industry. The idea that your payroll should be four-ninths no matter what. Four-ninths of pay. What was happening was gyms were paying coaches $20 for a class, $15 for a class, $25 for a class, and then four-ninths of the money that they would charge for a personal training session, no matter what the price was. And so what happened was personal trainers were finding them, or coaches were finding themselves in a situation where there was no way, there was no financial way that they were going to earn a living as a coach. It just wasn't going to happen. It was a, 
it was a phase of their lives and then they would have to eventually leave it. You remember this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So my belief is that if you can't build a meaningful, lasting career doing something, you have very little, if any, incentive to become exceptional at it. If you have very little to know, impetus to be exceptional at something, then there's no reason why you should expect to be able to get results for people that change their lives. It's a vicious circle. And I was bombarding that um, with everything that I had. I didn't know at the time that the four ninths model was a fitness model from a company called Two Brain Business in our space, working with the same pool of clients who we work with. It came across to many people who we worked with, who had worked with them prior and left them for us, as if we were bullying them because we didn't provide them with a better solution. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay. He said, mm -hmm. you're not close enough to the mic, so they probably didn't hear it. Um, when Mehdi Alamin and Chris Spigner sent me text messages on the same day saying, hey, this kind of feels like you're bullying me. Like, what do I do? We pulled over the car on our way to Invictus Boston where we had a seminar and filmed an apology live on Instagram explaining, I didn't know this came from another company. I didn't mean to make you feel bullied. I fucked up and I apologize and I'll do better. I'll come up with solutions for you instead of just pointing out a problem. I want to avoid doing that again. And leaving people who we intend to help feeling as though we are bullying them too. So as you're listening to this, I still think that four ninths model is garbage. So don't get it twisted. I haven't changed my beliefs about that model. I still believe it's oppressive. I still believe that it's a negative way to employ people, to incent people. I think it's useless. The way I went about doing that was to tear it down instead of to build something else up that was so obvious that it was impossible to continue seeing that as a better way to do it. I'm not exactly sure how to do that as loudly with our education. And I'm interested in any input that any of you all have because I'm going to do it. And I'd rather make less mistakes along the way. Larry Shrug. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Live Podcast. Please remember, give us a hand, rate it, review it wherever you listen to shows. We are on a mission to humanize the healthcare industry by professionalizing the fitness industry to empower the individual to live a life unlimited by the way that their body looks, feels, or performs. If you are inspired by that mission and want to jump on the wagon, find us anywhere. Active Life Professional on Instagram. Active Life RX on Instagram. Come to me personally at Dr. Sean Pastuch. We want to welcome you onto the train. We want you to be a part of the mission. We want to offer you the opportunity to pursue this right alongside us. We're inspired by your effort and we hope to help you in your journey. Turn bro.